Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. to introduce our next guest, Lori Levine Harris. Lori Levine is a born and bred Angelino, and she started her career on a pretty traditional path. After college in New York, she was working in music, working for Columbia Records, Michael Ovitz, Beck, and the Oprah Winfrey Network before heading to law school. She ended up getting a job at a big law firm, and that's where she met her now husband and business partner, Brock. And once COVID hit, she completely pivoted and she was also a new mother at the time. And she got her real estate license and launched a very new age approach to real estate business called Brock and Lori. Brock and Lori has made LA Magazine's real estate all-star list. It was the number one team at their brokerage last year. And within the first two years had huge success. We are so excited to have you on. Thank you for being here. I am so excited to be here. First podcast appearance. Great. First of many, I'm sure. Yes. So the question we ask as the first question on most episodes, which you probably know because you're a listener, which we so appreciate, (laughs) is what is your definition of fulfillment and what is your definition of success? And do you find that they're all related? You guys need to do a mashup of Of everyone's everyone's answers. Yes. Because it's so interesting and so personal, but... And sparked a lot of conversation between Brock and I, actually. But, okay, we'll start with success because I've noticed that that's what your guests have done. I think... (laughs) Carve your own path, whatever whatever feels right. So I think my definition of success is setting goals and achieving them, right? That you set a goal and that you achieve it. And that's personal success, not, you know, how others view your success and certainly how I define success for myself. And for me... Fulfillment is very personal. And so I know what makes me feel fulfilled, but I thought broadly about fulfillment. And I don't think you can define it for other people, but I think you can tell people what will not make them fulfilled. And that is pushing 
the needle of success forward consistently. So if you're constantly pushing that needle forward, I want to make a million dollars and then you hit it and now you need two million. Or I want to achieve this career pinnacle, make partner in a law firm, and then you hit it and then that's not good enough. You'll constantly be chasing fulfillment. And I think that's where successful people who are overachievers run into a lot of issues. And I certainly struggle with as a trying to recover perfectionist. Okay. I think uh, <laughs> both of us are also recovering yeah. perfectionism. It's hard. And I think part of that is always moving the needle forward, hitting, not reveling in your success. You know, I had a really, one of the like most profound experiences I've ever had was at a party once for my husband's uncle. And I was just talking to people who are not in my community, which is a community of overachievers and lawyers <laughs> and, you know, graduate yeah. graduate degree holders. And I was at this party and I was talking to this guy who was very happy and effusive. And I was like, so what do you do for a living? Which is how we connect with people in America. And um, he told me that he worked at Trader Joe's and he loved it. He was so proud. He loved working at Trader Joe's. They give great benefits. He loved his coworkers. And I was so inspired by this person who was just like glowing about working at Trader Joe's, which I assume in our community would not be something that people would typically glow about. And that that's the point of not moving the needle forward. Like this guy found fulfillment in this career that was not about looking good, and he was genuinely satisfied with kind of what I would assume is a mundane job and, you know, something where there's not traditionally in L.A. especially like a sought after job. And he was so zen and yeah. fulfilled. And I was really inspired by that guy. And I think about him all the time. It's funny you say that because whenever I go to Trader Joe's, I'm always blown away by how positive and fulfilled everyone seems to be. So clearly it might be a mutual thing. Yeah. I love that. And they definitely probably, it sounds like, treat their employees well. Yeah. But that honestly doesn't surprise me. Like I actually think the more complicated we make our careers or our personal goals, Unless it's driven from something deep within you and you're like, I need to do this because this is my calling. Right. And this is like something I truly desire. I think a lot of it can be really convoluted and noisy. Totally. Were you always an overachiever? Yes. And where did this stem from? Was this like, because I, I was like that too, but I, for me, a lot of stemmed in childhood and, and the kind of like perfection that was, I guess, demanded of me and my family. Not yeah. like on purpose, but kind of like, you know, got rewarded for good grades and things right. like that. Is that where yours came from? Or would you think your environment helped mold it? Do you remember those like gold star rating charts yeah. that you would like read a book and then you would get gold yes. stars in kindergarten? I hope they don't do that anymore. No. Because I mean, you would know. How old are your children? My twins are almost four and my son okay. is five. Okay. So I had a lot. You're about to find out. At the same time. Yeah. And I know they don't. You know, there's yeah. a liberal education. There's no grades. Like the kind of school I sought after because of my own competitive, you know, workaholic upbringing. Yeah. I remember getting, you know, on the reading charts, I would have the most gold stars and it'd be like dopamine, dopamine, dopamine. And then I'd need more gold stars. And then was on this path starting at age five of just, you know, being competitive with myself about being the best and achieving the most. And I saw this little 
uh, meme on Instagram the other day, and it was like all of the, you know, the gifted children of 20 years ago have now have hundreds of failed hobbies and an anxiety disorder. And I was like, wait, who else has experienced yeah, this? Yeah, it's actually You true. know, like who else is like taking on more than they can handle and then burning out, you know, immediately. And that's kind of like always been my thing is I just overload and overload and overload and take on so much. And then I burn out and I'm really, really working against it now. That's amazing. When did you become self-aware of it? I think my husband made me very aware of it. Okay. So good you know? partnership. Yeah. He's just like having, having a family is like a little bit of a mirror because when you are responsible for other people's lives as well as your own, you can see yourself. Like I can not be my best self and be alone and it affects no one else. Right. So if I'm burning myself to the ground because I'm training for an Ironman and then working, you know, 12 hours a day and then going to law school at night, like that really only affects me and maybe my mom because I'm crying yeah. on the phone. But now I have to be present for my family at all hours of the day. And if I'm burnt out, then I'm not a great mom and I'm not a great wife. And I live in a house with them and I owe it to them to be the best I can be for them. And if it's like, if it's a burden I'm putting on myself and it's like a, a suffering that's optional, like I think a lot of suffering is optional, then you have to handle it, you yeah. know? Yeah. It's almost like you have to, you owe it to them for you to take care of yourself. Exactly. Like that's, I actually didn't really think about that. I always am like relationships are mirrors, relationships are mirrors. My current relationship is definitely a huge mirror, but I didn't actually frame it that way that you just said so eloquently where it's a mirror because all the bad habits that I had before are still there, but now someone is witnessing them and is sort of like, why are you doing this to yourself? Totally. And that's actually really crazy to think about. It's like just someone living with you being like, Okay. What what's going on? No, why are you doing this? Yeah, because they yeah. care so much about you and almost see you through this outside lens. So you like, if you want to burn yourself out in law school alone, sure. But like, if your husband's like, "I love you," why are you doing this to yourself? And, right. and then it's also affecting you as a mom because I always think about that too. It's just like you need to have your grounding and mindful techniques to get you back into a place because you're no longer responsible for just yourself. So it's yeah. okay if you're having a bad day normally and you're alone and you can just sit and wallow for a bit. But once you started a family, you can't just do that. No. So yeah. how do you ground yourself? Well, <laughs> it's a work in progress. Brock put a Workaholics Anonymous book next to my bedside three days ago. Wow. So obviously I'm not doing a great job. <laughs> you're on the path. You're um, I mean, a few ways. I exercise every day. I find exercise like a really, really important thing to do for your mental health. I gave up drinking a year and a half ago. Wow. That's also why you're glowing. That and biologique. You look amazing. <laughs> And, and Terry. Yeah, Terry, our <laughs> facialist who honestly refers the most amount of friends and clients of any human I've yeah, ever met. She's the best. Hi, Terry. Um, <laughs> so yeah, I quit drinking because I, first of all, when you, after you have kids, wait for it. The hangovers just hit you like a load of bricks from like one glass of wine. It's crazy. So we gave drinking about a year and a half ago, and that's been really transformative. I also am obsessed with sleep. Have you read Matthew Walker's book? Yeah. yeah. 
it was that's re- that book and then quit like a woman really kind of changed my relationship to alcohol and sleep that and that's allowed me more space to prioritize the things that I want to do and what I want to achieve and now I'm just grappling with this like okay now I have the physicality and the stamina to do whatever I want to do but now what do I prioritize like I, but it, it immediately became work, 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 right? So we started this business. We did, you know, huge sales our first year, even better our second year, won all these awards like this. But then I'm like, I have no hobbies, <laughs> like none and no all free time. that you had when you were an overachiever exactly. just to like Fail. get into college, right? Yes. That's also a very toxic culture that kids have like hobbies to get into college at five. I know. Versus what they're actually interested in. Because I'm really interested also in the fact that you said you were an overachiever and then you quickly mentioned that now you've gone the complete other way with your kids and sent them to liberal school where it's not competitive and it's not graded the same way. Yeah. Because I think about that a lot too. And it's sometimes really hard to find the balance because I think once you have something ingrained in you that you don't really like of yours, you try to go the complete opposite and how you find like kind of like the middle ground. Right. Right. That's, do you go to therapy? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Uh, I mean, we started a podcast on fulfillment. <laughs> I once went to a therapist. Um, actually, I'm not going to talk about this on the show, but I grew up in a religious cult. And when I was leaving the religious cult, I went to a cult therapist, right? And obviously as part of leaving a cult, you're like, why did my fucking parents raise me in a cult? <laughs> you know, it's like crazy. And so I was telling the story about the like draconian nature of being raised in a cult and my parents doing this thing. And I was like, you know, when I have kids, I'm going to do the exact opposite. I would have done the exact opposite. And she goes, okay, part of the experience of breaking the cycle of whatever your parents did that you don't agree with is not letting that pendulum swing in the opposite direction. It's evaluating the scenario and going, what would I do with a fresh set of eyes? Not as a resistance to the way that I was raised, but rather like with a fresh set of eyes. And and I think that's a really great way to approach things. And I lost my train of thought in what we were talking about, but you reminded me of what my therapist, oh yeah. So I was raised, I was like, I went to Harvard Westlake, which is very, yeah. I'm not competitive. It's very competitive. I was a B plus student at Harvard Westlake, which was like yeah. an A plus star at any other school, but it was very competitive. I actually left in the middle of 11th grade because my hair started like falling out. I was so stressed that's and awful. went to Campbell Hall, which I loved. My alma mater as yeah, well. That's right. And you know, I was obsessed with grades and doing activities for the, on my resume. So I would get into a great college as opposed to like love of the activity. And so now I'm very pro-liberal education, uh, progressive education, no grades. I'm not concerned about my kids learning how to read. They have two parents with graduate degrees and I want them to love to learn for the sake of learning. Like that's all I care about in my kids' education. They want them to read, not because they get gold stars, but because they love reading or, you know, play tennis, not because they want to go to Wimbledon, but because they might just enjoy the sport, you know? Yeah. And I am learning that now as I near 40. 
like to just engage in activities because activities can be rewarding in and of themselves, you know? Yeah. It doesn't have to be productive or like make you money or... Yes. Yeah. Do you feel any pressure from those around you who do something opposite? So are getting their kids into tennis because they're training for this or going to Harvard Westlake so that they can get into Harvard? Like, does that pressure infiltrate your little family no, bubble? I feel bad for their kids. <laughs> I I really do. Like, I just like, I have such certainty around like, I don't know, hopefully my kids don't like grow up to be like, I don't unmotivated. I don't know. We'll see. Cause I have, I'm very committed to them not having anxiety and feeling confident and doing things because they feel fulfilled in doing them and not doing them to earn something. Yeah. And allowing them to be a kid. Yeah. Right. Did you have that growing up? I, Definitely was uh, because I went to Campbell Hall. I went to schools. I mean, I loved Campbell Hall, but just the culture of being in these coastal cities and growing up quite privileged is very competitive. And I think, especially our generation, it's more like to answer your question, yes. Like, I think my parents were not too extreme, but pretty, like, you know, immigrant parent you know, we're sending you to these schools so you can do something with your life, and do something with your life usually means make money. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Like something valuable for them is making money, which I understand it's very survivalist and we live in a capitalist country. But yeah, I definitely like I remember being like, I should play soccer because it'll look good on my college app right? versus and eventually, you know, that ended up being fun. All my friends ended up doing it, too, for their college apps, you know, like, but that was the thing. Everything was about not playfulness and more about means to an end. Totally. Like the goalpost. Okay. Like I have to get into college and I honestly haven't thought much about how that probably affected me until this conversation. So I'm glad that, but yeah, it's a real thing where it's like, how many clubs can I join? How many, even in elementary school, I was doing that to get into my junior high. I know people are hiring, you know, in New York and LA and I'm sure Miami and I'm sure other places like London, et cetera, they're hiring coaches to help three and four-year-olds get into kindergarten. I know. Like it's that's psychotic. really psychotic. It's that psychotic. stuff is so psychotic. I mean, I had an opposite experience. I mean, still with the perfectionism from my parents, but I grew up in Montreal, which is a very, you know, sheltered community. And there's only a couple schools to go to. And, and you go to school in Canada typically, and you don't take SATs. And, you know, it's it's not based on like how many extracurriculars you do. Like, yes, you do like volunteer work and stuff, but I, I was never forced to play a sport or to pick up a hobby for my college application. Right. But I would see a lot of my cousins or friends out here and it would just be like, that like you're taking away <laughs> being a kid. I know. So it's it's very hard. Like and also because now I live in LA and having a child, I think about this a lot. Like how do you make sure that your kids are grounded and actually you know are curious and want to learn, like want to read books because they love reading books, want to play tennis mm-hmm. because they love tennis, and not have like a another like hidden mission behind why they're playing tennis. Totally. And then you get all these conflicting, you know opinions and all of the parenting books seem to go against each other. So it's like, you want kids to enjoy the, a sport. So, you know, we signed my son up for baseball, which is like, <laughs> don't even get me started on baseball. They're like playing games. I'm like, why are you competing for four-year-olds? You know, it's so American. Yeah. Like, let's just throw them into competing. Like, can't they just hit the ball at four before yeah. they start playing games against each other? But then my son hated it. 
And I was like, okay, grit, grit. What's that book about grit? (laughs) And then, but he hates it. And why am I going to force a four-year-old to continue playing a game that he doesn't want to, he just wants to stay home and build Lego. So, I mean, I mean, the experience of being a parent is really accessing and listening to what you know to be true. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. And also letting your child guide you and not bringing in your ego. Totally. So to that point, can we walk it back for one second? So (laughs) I heard you correctly. You were raised in a religious cult. Yes, that is wild. It was wild. <laughs> like, because that also takes listening to what you know to be true to walk to away out. from that. Mm-hmm. It's actually interesting because I just met a new person at drink somewhere who also left a cult like two days ago. And I was like, this is just the most. Maybe I know them. Yeah. <laughs> well, I, maybe. I. So tell us about that if you're comfortable sharing like Because that takes, and I want to know at what age you decided to part, because that does take, I can't imagine the strength that that takes to walk away from what your parents, are your parents still in it? No, they all, everyone left at the same time. At the same time. Yes. So you had this collective, oh my God, what are we doing? Kind of. I think it's a longer story and it's really an interesting story, but like not, it was it's not one I care to like record. Okay. Okay. That's totally fair. That's but totally fair. I will tell you about it off the record. Okay. And it did shape who I am as a person yes. because I think that when you're in any strict religious environment, the world is very black and white, right? Like here are the rules and this is good and this is bad. And this is where you're, you know, on the path to whatever yeah. spiritual you know, freedom or heaven or whatever. And here's where you stray from that. And it's very black and white. And and when you leave that kind of thinking, you realize that everything is gray. Everything is gray. Everything that is good has a shadow bad. And every decision you make has some things that aren't right for you. And I think that was really unsettling to, to figure out. Right? Yeah. How old were you when you guys left? 27. Oh, wow. I was old. <laughs> so, okay. Well, I was going to ask because, so also walking it back to you were a lawyer and an esteemed yes. lawyer and were working at a big firm. Was that, was, I was going to say was walking away from that, but I guess you walked away from that before you walked away from. I was in my first year of practice when I was getting excommunicated. 
Wow. So, this is, so you went to school while you were in the cult? Kind of. It was it was a long it was a long uh, fall from grace. Okay. But yeah. So I was in law school. It wasn't really a big part of my life at that time, but then it got like super intense and And crazy um, when I was in my first year of law school and dating Brock, actually. Yeah, I was going to say, how did he... He has a strong cult history too. <laughs> Whoa, really? So you yeah. could you could relate. Yeah, so he he was like he has like these little touches of huh. of relating. So he was pretty great. Okay. He was great. And he's like he's very inspirational and like he is a really no bullshit type person. Like he's you know, in our business in real estate, he's like very influenced by like his vision of success, we talked about it when we were discussing coming on this show, is like not being beholden to anyone. He's really like, he's anti kind of smoke and mirrors type of thing. And so when you were in those kinds of situations of leaving cult, he was like, this is such bullshit. Who are these people? Like, what do they, what, what control do they have over you? Which is true. Right. It took me years after to realize. But I know I'm speaking in the abstract so much right now, but it was relaxing to be around someone who had like a disregard of just like accepting what people said was It's really inspiring to be around that, especially if you're, if you typically stray one way or the other. Like I definitely care a lot about what people think of me. I'm actually noticing that more as I get older because it's not in a traditional sense. And being around people who are like, Annabelle's pretty good about this. She's like very like, that's bad energy. Just don't engage in that. <laughs> and it's good. It's really good for me to be around because I'm like, you're right. Do I want this? You know, I think it's really important. Um, I was going to ask. So again, sort of walking it back, you were a lawyer. What kind of drew you into being a lawyer? Was that, do you feel like that was a construct of someone else's dream or like this competitive nature or? Actually, no. I was drawn to being a lawyer because... When you grow up in LA, in the very, very privileged setting that we grew up in, you are really drawn to the entertainment industry yes. in like a way where you don't even think about it. Like, like you were into finance by where you were raised. Like you're surrounded by people who are in the entertainment industry or whose parents are, and it's very cool and alluring. And so I didn't even think twice about entering entertainment after college, even though I worked at Columbia Records and I loved music, but people who are high up in the music industry, they love music. Love it. Like I really liked it. Mm -hmm. You know, I never felt like I was fit in wherever I was. So I worked in music, I worked in film, but I wasn't so passionate about it. And to work in that industry, you have to be really passionate about film and music and television. And I wasn't, and I What's really important to me is to be an expert. That's also kind of one of my definitions of success. Like you want to be able to provide value. To master something. Exactly. Yeah, mastery. That's really cool. And so I was seeking, I didn't care what it was. Frankly, I have a mastery of real estate. I love it, but I love it because I'm good at it. You know, it's not, it could be anything for me. It never had to be one thing. I just wanted to provide value. So I sought that out in law school. I actually took the GMAT. I was like, should I go to business school? I did really 
got a really mediocre score on the GMAT. I took the LSAT. I got a great score on the LSAT. It really clicked with me. So I was like, all right, law school it is. I got a scholarship. I went to law school. I excelled in law school and I loved it. I loved it because I was good at it. You know, there really is a correlation between those two things. Like, and I don't think that's ego. I think that you want to be able to provide value in your life, you know, to other people. And I never found that in entertainment. It was just like, I ended up on this path because of where I grew up. So law school was one of the happiest times of my life. My parents were very proud, but they'd never, you know, I don't come from a family of lawyers or anything. And I loved, loved, loved law school. I was inspired. I was good at it. I was reading. I was learning something new. I worked for a judge. I worked in firms. And then I became a lawyer. And that is a terrible job for women. <laughs> it's a terrible job for a lot of people, even though people are good at it. They, it's a very, the billable hour is very challenging. Do they have that in finance, the billable hour? Yeah. You know, to me, it's so transactional. I sat and typed on a computer all day. It was not a good job for me. You know, I would go out to dinner with these huge clients and we'd vibe or whatever. And they'd be like, okay, go back to your desk and type more because that's what we do. And that's how we earn money. So I loved the law and I still do, but I did not like the practice of law at all. Yeah, but I think it's really interesting because I have many friends who have gone to law school and don't practice law, but because going to law school was such a valuable skill, you can bring that skill into so many different industries, right? So Absolutely. Again, like not practicing, because I, I just met you today, obviously, Lori, but like you do not look like someone who should be sitting in front of a desk. You're like a people person, <laughs> yeah. you know, you're out there, you're like bringing people in relationships, right? Yeah. And so probably the like fun part for you was like taking out the clients and then you had to go back to your desk and it's like, well, that's not my magic. My magic is being out there and why am I in here? Absolutely. Right? Absolutely. And to circle back to the beginning of our conversation, for me, where I find fulfillment in my life is through people. I love people. Same with us. Yeah. The best. It's the best. I love my family. I love my friends. I love being here and chatting with you. And so I was so isolated as a lawyer. It was like me and my briefs all day. Every day was a horrible job for me. And so even though I was successful. I was at a top law firm at the con- in a country. I had a mentor who I love to this day. He's a very good friend who just like, whatever you want, he really was my cheerleader. And I felt like shit all the time because I wasn't connecting to anyone. I was just sitting there researching and writing. Well, it just goes to show to answer the question from the beginning, you just said it yourself is like, you can be successful and not fulfilled. That's right. So, right? Like they don't, they're not like hand in hand. No. So you were really miserable there from a fulfillment standpoint, yet you were quote unquote successful to whatever anyone else would think. Exactly. Which is really the ethos of what you're talking about on this podcast, right? You can have success as defined by other people, but fulfillment really comes from the inside and it's what works for you. And for me, I love what I do now so much because I get to talk to people all day long. It's what I do. I talk to people for a living. I advise people. I chat. I give them advice. I help them build wealth. I help them make good real estate decisions. So it's this like perfect intersection of being an expert at something and finding these fulfilling moments of connecting with other people. So how long being a lawyer did it take you to get that self-awareness to be like, this is not for me. It took COVID. 
I had twin newborn babies and the world was ending. And then I got a call from the head of my department and my law firm telling me my hours were low. And I was like, I'm done. I can't do this. Like, I'm exhausted. And then I went into like a little bit of a depression because I had so much identity wrapped up in who I was as a lawyer and my success as a lawyer. And it was I it was an unexpected depression because I luckily don't deal with depression like an ongoing state, but I certainly felt it after that. And I think there was a huge shift in identity that was just, I was thrust into immediately after the shift in identity of motherhood, which is very profound as well. And so it was, it was intense. It was intense because I was like, okay, I'm going to quit my job as a lawyer and I'm going to walk in and get my real estate license. It's all going to be great. And then it was like, I did it and I just like crashed. And I was like napping like three hours a day and I was exhausted and depressed. And it was, it was tough. It was a tough shift. And, you know, COVID was happening. We're all like soaking our groceries and bleach and whatever (laughs) we were doing. It was a really crazy time. And, you know, out of the ashes of my destroyed legal career and my destroyed salary came this really beautiful opportunity to do something new and to find something new for myself. And I walked in and I got my real estate license and Brock and I started this company and it wasn't even hard. It just was like so organic for this to be my career because it was this, it used, you know, my legal education was not lost. It was so a part of what we do. And then I got to connect with people and Brock is the most brilliant real estate mind of anyone I've ever met. And so it was just this confluence of magic and I love our business. I'm really proud of it. It's not perfect 100% of the time, but it's pretty good. It's a pretty good (laughs) career for us. And it just, life is really funny because who knew, Yeah, you know? No one ever And you want to hear something so weird? When I was 16 and we were meeting with career advisors, my mom remembers this and someone asked me what I wanted to do when I grew up. And I said something like, be an ex or a realtor. And my mom was like, what? A realtor? <laughs> like, that's so random. That's so funny. And while you were going through the motions of like this depression and identity crisis, like how did you find your way out? And was there like, I mean, other than Brock and and being a mom and, and like we talked about at the beginning, like be a mom and act like even if you're having a bad day, you still have to take care yeah. of your kids. Like were there other people like com- did community come in? Did your family step in? Like how did you get out or was it something internal? Like I have people. I have my therapist and I've had great therapists and I have my energy healer, Miriam, very woo-woo LA stuff. I think I've been to her. She's amazing. Yeah. I love her. <laughs> I probably refer her one person a week. Um, I had a team, but I also think that sometimes you just have to be in your uncomfortable Yes, and your discomfort. Yeah. Yeah. You ha- yeah, you have to be in your discomfort and you just have to feel it and you have to... It, it sucks. sucks. It sucks. You just have to experience it. And oh, I just... It was so uncomfortable for everyone. It really was. It really was. And I, I don't know if you guys felt this, but like I, I often feel this. I was like, COVID sucks. I feel so, I have so identified with who I was in New York and I was in LA and all this stuff. And then I was like, but I'm so lucky. Yeah, I know. You know, like 
we're the blessed one. Like, we're so lucky. I know. So and then you, you kind of feel guilt. I don't know. Yeah. Were you in it for like the whole COVID? Like what, how long did it take you to like see the sunshine? I'd say three months. I was taking three hour naps every day <laughs> in between breastfeeding twins and, wow. you know, it's a lot. trying to figure it out. Yeah, but huge three, three months was where, and then I just, you know, sometimes you just have to power through. And I walked in and I got that real estate license in my N95 mask. And, and then we just started. You know, you just put one foot in front of the other and try something new. One thing that I'm really good at, and sometimes it gets me in trouble, is that I will try anything. You're That's like, great. let's go jump off a building and skydive. I'd be like, great, <laughs> whatever, yeah. you know, and then I'll be in the air and be like, why am I here? <laughs> so I'm like, I just am a decider. I just decide to do things. And then if it doesn't work out, I pivot. So I we just did it and we did it full force and something that's really cool about my husband is that he's just like, all right, whatever you want, like, let's do this. And yeah, within, I mean, within six months, we hired an assistant who is now an agent and she was amazing and a huge, huge part of our success. And, you know, and then it just took off. It's amazing. Do you think that motherhood really helped you find that passion and find this like new identity of yourself? Totally. And COVID, frankly, like, and just a shakeup of the status quo, right? Motherhood is is really interesting. We were talking about this as you are about to mm-hmm. head into the hospital to deliver. <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> is, you know, the expression babies are lo- born with a loaf of bread under their arm, right? Like people are terrified of having kids. They're so expensive, this and that. And it's true. Your life profoundly changes when you have kids, profoundly, in ways that you have no idea are coming. But you are driven to bigger things. You're driven to career changes. You're driven to buying a house. You're driven to big change out of necessity. Right. So the baby comes with the loaf of bread because you have to make that bread to feed them. You know what I mean? Yeah. My like, parents actually said something similar. Yeah. Because like, you, you have to survive. survive. You, and it's not just you anymore. Yeah. Similar to what we were saying about the mirror with a partner. It's like even more so. It's not yeah. just you. You have to find a way. Yeah. So I had three months and then I had to get my ass out of bed and figure out how we we're going to make money. Three months, three kids. <laughs> three months, three kids. That's, you know, it's wow. uh, intense and like a gift. Yeah. It was a gift. I love being self-employed. I've been, I've worked for people for 20 years and start owning my own company. I feel so incredibly proud of. And I mean, it was so, so tough and I'm so grateful for the breakdown. Yeah. Yeah. That's how it always is. It's like you sometimes can't see it in the moment of the breakdown, but on the other side of the breakdown, I always say like, thank goodness I had that because my life is so much better now. Absolutely. And that's a nice part about aging is that you really, really start to know as a truism that everything's going to work out. Yeah. Were you hard on yourself during this time though? Like what was going on like mentally? Were you like get up. Like, what are you doing? Or like, how are you treating yourself? Like, what was the inner talk? That's a really interesting question. I think I'm hard on myself generally, but I also like, when you're good at something, you kind of know it immediately. So like the harsh self-talk is like, I could be better. I could do this better, whatever. But I'm wondering, you know, I think a lot about anxiety because I have it. (laughs) But I'm like, is anxiety all that bad or does it just drive you to bigger things? 
if I didn't have it, would I be complacent? Is anxiety maybe a little bit of a good thing? Unfounded anxiety is not great, you know, like worrying about things that you have absolutely no control over, but worrying about things that you do have control over might be a benchmark of success. I don't know. No, that's completely fair. I think that's actually a really good point because sometimes I think about that too. And sometimes things that are quote unquote labeled as bad to have are actually sometimes like a strength of ours. I agree. And I think that what I'm starting to learn in life is that everything that is great about a person has a little bit of a double-edged sword. Double-edged sword. Like my husband is so easygoing. He's like the foundation of my life because he's really like an everything will be fine guy. But then sometimes I think he's a little fucking checked out. (laughs) (laughs) That's actually really very much like that. Yeah. That is actually very wise. Yeah. What's your strength is also has its dark side. Yeah. That's just being human, right? Exactly. Was Brock in real estate before? Like, what was he was already in real estate? Yeah, he's a real estate whiz kid. He read Rich Dad, Poor Dad when he was 22 years old. And, you know, millions of people have read that book and then thrown it, you know, on their bathroom floor. Right. Brock really internalized the book, was a studio teacher, like on set, and then went and started buying income property when he was 22 and um, then started a real estate brokerage in his early 20s. And he's amazing. I think it goes back to what you were talking about in Julia's episode, Jazz. Um, like when you have such a stable like home environment with your husband, it gives you a safe space to fail or to take risks or to really do anything. So it seems like Brock was that for you. It's like, okay, like we could try this real estate and if it doesn't work out, like you know, I still have him and he's like, he's easygoing and he's not hard on me and whatever. And he'll be there for me. I had a lot of support when I made that. Like I'd say, I didn't take a risk that was like, I'd like to say like, I would just took this huge risk, but I, my mentor in the law, Bobby, who's amazing, helped me get a leave of absence from work. So I didn't, I didn't actually leave my law firm until I was settled into my real estate career, you know, because I was like, if this fails, I'll just go back, right? I'll just go back. And my law firm was very female friendly, the most that law firms could be and supportive. And I could have gone back part-time. And so I had support in my legal career. I had support from my husband. Like I had a lot of support to, to take that leap. I know that that's not a given when you do something like that. You know, a hundred percent. And it also seems like, okay, so you started Brock and Lori and it seems like from the content, you really leaned into this like playful, like don't take myself too seriously, make fun of myself sometimes, like fun type of vibe. Like where did that come from? Is that core to your relationship with Brock as well? Yeah. I mean, (laughs) I feel like I've gone, become so serious as I get older, Yeah, you know, Especially so once you are introspective, I'm like, what happened to the version of me that like doesn't care about this? I know, <laughs> but I do think a lot of our brand is like making things feel very accessible to people yes. and like that real estate should be fun and not scary and, you know, and funny. And there's a lot of funny things about it. And, 
you know, just making it feel like, I mean, I, when I met Brock, I didn't know anything about real estate and his ethos is like, don't earn and spend your whole life. Right. You know, don't earn and spend your whole life, like make investments. I was so inspired by him. I mean, we bought a duplex together within two years of dating. And then we, we were buying real estate together before we were married. Like I was so inspired by him. So our, the foundation of our business is Brock's wisdom through my eyes, you know, which is like, how cool. (laughs) Yeah. Like he is really smart. Now I'm really good at marketing. You know, Brock's like, he will try and make our clients buy these just like real wacky properties. (laughs) He's like, okay, there's two tenants, you Ellis, you know, just crazy things. I'm like, I mean, they just buy a nice house, honey. Like it's all good, right? Let's do a pretty house. But he is, he's brilliant. He's brilliant when it comes to real estate. And so we actually talk about real estate. A lot. It's how we keep the spark alive. And so we <laughs> end up just live blogging everything that we talk about. And we make those videos together. You know, we yeah. we really want to be in the Scandaval news feed. So we're doing a real estate video on those two. So you, you have a lot of humor in your relationship yeah. and like fun. Yeah. Was yeah. it always like that? Yeah. we our, our relationship is founded on having fun. Okay. That's um, beautiful. I love that. Yeah. We, we like to have fun. Well, that's also interesting because like you've, you know, you were saying that you were like this excessive overachiever and all this stuff. So it's kind of nice to was that just like a refreshing balance? You met this person yes. and you got to yeah. just be like, I want to have fun. Yes. And when I met him, I was in law school and I was 26 or 27. And he was the first person I ever dated who like took me on dates, like took me to a play or like wow. paid for my dinner, which is not required, but it feels nice. Yeah, <laughs> you know, it was like the first grown up yeah. dating experience I had because he's 10 years older than me. And like, I never, he took me to Coachella, you wow. know, places. Yeah. That's like fun. that's fun. He yeah. was just fun. And he was, he was getting divorced. Sorry, Brock. <laughs> he was getting divorced. And so he had this kind of renewed invigoration of like exploration that he had. So we, had a lot of fun and like he's very into plays and musicals and I was really into music and so we always had a lot of fun together. Do you ever, I mean I'm sure because it's relationships, but fighting or bickering, is it normally on like work stuff yes. or yes? <laughs> and and like how do you like solve for that? Do you make sure to like stay in each other's lane? Like your marketing, he's more on like the yeah. real estate. Like what what is your I don't know. <laughs> what do you think? Do you just like not have a strategy and you just go with it? You know, I think that we try, like we do weekly meetings where we talk about our family and finances. It's called our weekly review. We like sit, we go. It's amazing. I I recommend it for any household, period. Like we sit down, we go through our credit card, we go through our upcoming calendar. We have questions that we ask each other at the beginning of every meeting. Um, what do you think I'm doing well? What are you doing well? What we could be better at? I'll send you our Google Doc. We go through our budget. Wow. We go through our plans, our vacations. We talk about what we're investing in, where we are in our business. Like, you know, and that really helps us connect and feel like we're on the same page in terms of our household so that any like resentments about those things can go away. And I find that when we don't do them, we get like this kind of plaque builds up. Really? Yeah. When you met Brock, were you like, this is it? Yes. You knew how how soon? Three months. 
Okay. Three months is your number. I know. Three, three kids, three months, three. Three's your number. You're a wise lady. <laughs> There's something there. <laughs> That's fine. But I, so like she just touched on this, but your brand is super fun. And I always see, I live on the east side now. So I yes. always see the signs that say buy, sell, invest. Yes. And I think that's something that I really appreciate. I mean, my family's obviously in real estate and has done pretty well. For, like, yeah, that's been a lot of our bread and butter. And I think it's really incredible that you guys have put so much effort into helping people better understand how to invest in real estate mm-hmm. and making it accessible, as you said. And I feel like that community is probably what's driving a lot of the allure of your business, right? Like that's, I assume, but is that super fulfilling? Like I feel like, because that's really, I have a friend who's buying an income property and I was like almost moved to tears. I was just so excited for her to be taking this risk, but doing it in this calculated risk that's going to really help her and set herself up for the future when most Americans are drowning in debt, unfortunately. Only 7.3%, I think 7.3% of people own income property. Wow. That's crazy. Everyone should. Because it feels inaccessible though. It feels very difficult. It feels like, how would I start? What do I need to do? And I think that's a lot of the the hole in the market that you've filled. Yeah. Yeah. And listen, most of our business is selling homes, right? Helping people buy and sell homes. But I do think that we always have an eye towards making good financial decisions. And that's part of what we do. It's like, Yes, we can help you buy a beautiful home. And, you know, how do we help you get the best loan? How should we structure this? Like, what should we do to strategize to get you the best property, advising you on the neighborhoods? Like, everything that we do and everything that we sell, because we sell income property mainly to people who already own income property, because that's just how it works. It's a, yeah. it's really hard to, especially now with interest rates, it's really hard to make things oh pencil. Yeah. You have to put so much down. We're so happy to help anyone do it, but for the most part, we sell single family homes. But I think our clients really trust that they will not make a poor decision with us on our side. So it seems that like helping people is also pretty core to you because while this is a business, I think the fulfilling part for you, right, is this like the biggest reward is being able to help people. Totally. Give access to people who thought. It wasn't possible. Totally. And it's great because it it's just like a positive relationship all around because the people who want to work with us will, you know, someone will tell them about us and then they'll follow us on Instagram and then they'll be like, I like them. So I'm going to work with them. And so when we show up, it's this like huge love fest, oh, you know, yeah. like we just like vibe immediately and then we go find houses and it's really fun. We recently got a couple of referrals like outside business and did not have that experience. They didn't know who we were. They treated us like under them. It was not fun. Like the way that we've set up our business and the way we get business is just. Because it also seems like you're doing it from a place of authenticity. So I think nowadays community is such a like hot topic. It's like everyone's trying to build community, but sometimes (sighs) people do it from a place of like just because I want to monetize this community versus like coming from a place of authenticity, which you guys are doing, right? Well, thank you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I I think so. I think it, it's very, it's very natural. And I like community. You know, we host a meeting at our office for local agents and 
We had a big party last year for all our clients. I love this stuff so much. Like I said, that's I find, what we want to do with our podcast guests. I will be there. Yeah. RSVP. We're too. like, we all, they all just like go into the abyss. We meet all these cool people. We need to bring them together. I know. It's nice. And I, you and I have the same fulfillment. Yes. Yeah. People. Fulfillment. It's people. people. Same. All it's, of us. And yeah. It sounds like, okay, so when you were a lawyer, you loved the law. You still do. Yeah. You're like, this isn't for me. I'm, it's me and my briefs. This is opposite of what your fulfillment is. And then you move to real estate and you have this different approach, right? You're, you're in front of the camera. Was that nerve wracking? Like, were you like, or were you like, I'm here I am. And this is what I was meant to be doing. Cause that's be- yeah, very also vulnerable. Also to follow up on that is like, typically this, like being in front of the camera is like very Gen Z. Like, how did you guys find this like transition to being like, great. Like we are, <laughs> Yeah. Video parents, content is yeah. very, cause even millennials are like posting. I mean, even Instagram. I can't even deal with Instagram and TikTok. So please. You have got to get this podcast on Instagram. Yeah, we are, we are but consulting tell us, with like, Gen how Zers do you, for that. How do you go from like corporate to putting yourself out there on social media on a, on a platform? Yeah. Like, that's that, very... Tell us about that experience. Well, as a coach, you know the importance of coaching. So we had a coach when we started our business through this program called Tom Ferry. It's like a big real estate coaching platform. And Tom is all about video. He's like, if you are not on video, you are not going to win in real estate. So we just, as my friend, Sarah, who does a lot of TikTok advising said, you do shit testing, which means you just film everything and see what sticks, right? Just throw it up. That's like on, on TikTok. You'll do that. And so I just started kind of filming ourselves out in the world and seeing what stuck and what people responded to. And it was just kind of organic. And I'm addicted to Instagram in a way that I'm also trying to handle. Yeah, as we all are. As we all are. So I will notice things that I like about what other people do and what's compelling about them. And yeah. And then it kind of just developed into this thing where it was like me and my hype man Brock talking about all things real estate. And it was really good. And we really try to keep it singular, like a singular page. Like if we are, if you're on video, we're talking about real estate. And light and fun, it sounds like. Yeah. So were you nervous posting your first video? Were you like, what am I doing? Was there a little bit of imposter syndrome? Was there a little cringe? We we asked because we talked about in previous podcasts, like kind of embracing cringe when you don't have that many followers. Yeah. I don't know. I think I probably, people like look at it sometimes in cringe, but you can't please everyone. It's a lesson for people pleasers. No, it's not cringe at all. No, I'm not not taking it personally because it is you're putting yourself up and you're like yeah. it's the just Brock that beginning, show it's just that beginning phase where totally like, uh, I don't know. and it's always like that and I get some weird you, ass comments sometimes it goes back to what you're saying you embrace the discomfort and keep going yeah. yeah yeah and it's I think that our Instagram is so niche like we're never gonna have you know a hundred thousand followers or whatever because we're not like making jokes or whatever this is for people in LA who are interested in real estate and building wealth through real estate and like maybe a little design and that is it. And so we have really, really high engagement with like a very niche follower account. And so it's like, it's kind of this big fish and small pond type thing, which Mm -hmm. as we all know, makes everyone feel good. Yeah. And also you never know where that's going to go to though. I know. What are we going to be? Bravo liberties? Who knows? (laughs) That's true. You've really gone through so many kind of identities in your life. So I'm really interested to hear you answer our last question, which is what's the point? 
for you. What's right it now. all for? Yeah. What's it all for? At least today. I don't know. I think it's all about connection. It's all about human connection. Yeah. I love that. Beautiful. Thank you so much for being here. Yeah. For I feel so much wiser. <laughs> Do you? Okay. <laughs> Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volur XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. 